Good morning. It's a delight to be with you. Um, this is a coming home for me. As, as many of you know, my name is Jeremiah Morris. I'm JP's younger brother, the youngest son of Paul and Andrea. And I serve as one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church of Houston. So a long way off. Uh, my wife and two children and I made the 17-hour drive uh, on Friday to be here. So that's a two-year-old and a six-week-old in a car for 17 hours to be here. So that says a little bit about how much we love our family and all of you. Um, and it truly is. It's, it's a coming home to be with family because I'm staying at my parents' house and my little boy and gets to be with his cousins, but also to be with you. Uh, we feel like we get to come home and be with family. There's a lot of people that have loved our whole family really well, that have prayed for us in different seasons, and those messages get relayed to me through, through my parents. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, this community means a lot to us, and it's a real blessing to get to open God's word with you this morning. Before I do, I'd love to just pray over our time. And so if you would join me as we ask God to bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father, we start by saying thank you that we can call you that. We come boldly under the throne of grace and we say, our Father, would you bless these moments? Even as your word is opened, would you send your spirit to deal with our hearts, to deal with my heart in ways that were unexpected, in ways that leave us changed? Not for our sake, not for the sake of the name of Jeremiah Morris or Church of the Apostles, but only for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. That's our request this morning. Thank you, God. Hear us and answer. Amen. Amen. Uh, It is a truth, a principle that runs through all of life that clarity breeds strength. Clarity breeds strength. We experience this when we go to certain restaurants. There's there's certain restaurants that maybe you've been to these sorts of diners or do it all restaurants where they'll have a menu that's like 14 pages long and they serve chimichangas and seafood and um, Chinese food and none of it's good. That you literally can find anything on the menu, but be assured it's going to be mediocre because they've tried to do everything and they've done nothing well. And this is this is a reality in life that clarity breeds strength. And uh, on on Friday, as I was making the 17 hour journey with my two boys, my wife and I chose to eat at the same restaurant at breakfast and lunch. And it's because clarity breeds strength. And that restaurant is Chick-fil-A. Uh, they do one thing and they do it really well. They do chicken. They do chicken for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner. You can have it on a biscuit or a bun or on a bed of lettuce, but it's chicken and it's good. And so as a result, it also comes with a playground, which is lovely when a two-year-old's been in the car all day. But as a result, there's there's this principle that that clarity breeds strength. And what we're going to see this morning is that it's not just just true with Chick-fil-A and it's not just true generally. We could list a whole host of examples that, that light, when it's diffused, brings light to a room. But when it, when it has focus, it becomes a laser and can cut through even the hardest of surfaces. That, that clarity breeds power and strength. But what we're going to see this morning from Philippians chapter 1 is that Christian clarity, Christian clarity breeds an unshakable strength. More than any laser and more than any delicious meal, what we're talking about is that when we are able to focus in on what's most important as a community of faith, it breeds a strength individually and corporately that is unmatched in the universe. 
And we're going to see that displayed in Paul's life in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. And so if you would, turn there with me. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. This is Paul. He's writing to the Philippians. And this is a missionary letter. He is a missionary that has been sent by the Philippians. They support him financially. And so in a sense, he's writing to say, thank you for your support. Let me fill you in on what's been going on. And what we're going to learn is that the current circumstances that Paul are in are concerning to the Philippians. And so he's writing to them saying, I understand your concern, but let me explain that God's at work even in these hard circumstances. So that's what we're going to read this morning, starting in verse 12. Just before I read, permit me to remind you, the prophet Isaiah says this about your scriptures. He says that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but that the word of God will stand forever. And so what that means is this morning, as we slow down and as we read the scriptures together, we're actually in touch with something eternal and life-giving and powerful. And we would be really, 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 really wise to pay attention. Starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and from rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and then in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And catch this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Unbelievable words from Paul. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. You see, this passage flows into and out of a few short words that we catch in verse 21. All that Paul is saying leading up to 21 and all that he says after 21 find their rootedness in what he says there. And if we were able to look at it in the original language, what we would see is that what is translated into several words is really just four. In the original language, Paul was trying to say it as succinctly as possible. Verse 21 had four words and it was live Christ, die, gain. This is what Paul was clear about. Live, Christ, die, gain. And it bred an unshakable strength in his life. And that's what we're going to discuss this morning. We see it in a number of ways. First of all, we see that Paul's clarity breeds an unshakable strength in tough circumstances. Somebody help me. What are the circumstances that Paul is writing from? 
imprisoned. So when he says in verse 12, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. He's meaning his imprisonment. Because he then mentions it three times throughout the passage. My imprisonment, my imprisonment, my imprisonment. Literally my chains. He's saying my chains. This is my current circumstance. So Paul is writing from really hard circumstances. But what does he say? He says that in verse 12, it is the, this, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, this is interesting. How has the whole imperial guard come to know that Paul is imprisoned for Christ? He's telling them. The truth is that Paul has been imprisoned in multiple places leading up to this imprisonment in Philippi. Or pardon me, in Rome. He's currently imprisoned in Rome, riding to Philippi. And he had been imprisoned all along the way, journeying towards Rome. And when he got to Rome, the idea was that we're going to set a guard at his house to make sure that he doesn't escape like he has everywhere else. So Caesar's very, his royal import, his, um, his royal guard was set over Paul, scholars think, to try to say, hey, he's not going to make the Romans look as foolish as he's made all these other towns look where he's escaped and walked out of their prisons. And so here he is under guard in Rome. And as best we can tell, on four or eight hour shifts, these guards are coming from Caesar's palace to Paul's house to make sure he doesn't get out. And so Paul has a captive audience, quite literally, for four to eight hours at a time. And so as he looks at his circumstances in chains, he says, let me tell you about why I'm in my chains. And he starts preaching about Jesus. You start to see right off the bat, this is an unshakable strength. What they have done to this guy is they have beat him and put him in chains and said, stop talking about Jesus. And he says, put me in chains and I'm going to tell your guards about Jesus. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you're going to let me keep breathing, I know what my life is about. It's about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. The amazing thing is that when Paul signs off at the end of Philippians, it's almost like a wink, wink to the audience in Philippi, the guys that he's writing to. He says, and even some from Caesar's household have bowed their knee to Jesus, and they too say hello. So not only are they hearing it, some are responding to it. You see, Christian clarity breeds an unshakable strength in the hardest of circumstances. My parents have been teaching me this all my life. I remember in high school, there was a girl. Isn't there always a girl? Um, there was a girl, and I really liked her. Uh, I, I kind of like oddly liked her. I, I would watch her, you know, in those weird ways. Like, I wonder if she likes me, trying to pay attention in, in a room full of people. You know, how you're aware of the person that you're interested in. And uh, I was gearing up towards homecoming, and I was going to ask her to homecoming. And so that's nerve-wracking for a, for a 10th grader. Um, and as I was getting up the confidence bolstering myself, ready to ask her. She sent a preemptive strike by way of a couple of her friends to say, whatever you do, don't ask Britain to homecoming. She doesn't want to go with you. That's great, right, for, for a 16-year-old kid to hear. And so I did what any 16-year-old boy who's tough and has it all together would do. I went home and I cried to my mom. I got home and mom... Britain doesn't like me. And it was one of those where I couldn't catch my breath. I mean, just undone. Tears streaming down my face. She doesn't like me. And my mom said this. She said, Jeremiah, tell me, where, where is this one going to show up on the eternal timeline? 
And I was going, what? What? She said, tell me, where does this one show up on the eternal timeline? And now at, in that moment of despair, maybe it's not exactly what I wanted to hear, but at the same time, it's exactly what I needed to hear. That it started to dawn on my heart at that moment that what seemed like the end of the world wasn't going to show up when the timeline is stretched out over eternity. Because when we start considering our lives, when you consider your life on the timeline of eternity, which events show up? Think about it. Think about your life. How many hallmark moments are all of a sudden popping up on a timeline that stretches over eternity? Things that seem really big in the moment all of a sudden start to shrink in the distance. Some of them aren't even there anymore. We think that one was lost. That one had no eternal value when all is said and done. You see, that that lesson has been settling down over my soul for the last 15 years as I try to learn what it means to live a life that keeps an eye on what's eternal. That like Paul would say, live Christ, die, gain, unshakable strength no matter what comes. My parents continued to teach me this lesson in a much more serious way when uh, my brother passed away. Many of you know that there's, there's another Morris boy between JP and I. His name was Jed, and I adored my brothers. They were my heroes, and Jed died in a car wreck several years back. And I had, um, the, I, I don't know whether to call it the responsibility, um, the pleasure, the burden, whatever it is. I preached my brother's funeral, something you never want to do. But a beautiful experience, nonetheless, to preach the gospel with my brother's casket in front of me. And at the end of that funeral, my parents, in continuing to set the pace for our family and for our community, did something that was stunning. My dad's work companions from a lifetime are, are sitting in the audience. It's a packed house down the road. And as we got ready to walk out, they put their hands on that casket with their family behind them, and they began to walk out, and they sang the words of a song that I have written right here. They sang these words. Because he lives... I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future. All life is worth the living just because he lives. And the he there is Jesus. Because he lives, life is worth the living. A lesson that began when I was 15, crying over a girl that broke my heart, continued to be cemented as I watched my parents be able to sing, life is worth the living because Jesus lives. We're going to put our boy in the ground, but our Savior lives and life is worth living. Do you see that circumstances do not define you? Not when we are clear on what's important. When we have Christian clarity and we as a people say to live as Christ, it does not matter what comes. Paul says, I'm in chains. It's for the glory of Jesus. The guards are bowing down to Jesus as king, not Caesar. You see, we start to see that the Christian clarity breeds unshakable strength in the toughest of circumstances. Praise be to God that whatever you are going through, if you are walking with Jesus, when we stretch it over the eternal timeline, you are in good hands and your circumstances do not determine what the outcome is. Jesus determines what the outcome is. And so Paul in chains writes, I rejoice. Things are good. Don't worry about me. 
Christian clarity breeds unshakable strength in the toughest of circumstances. We also see this. Christian clarity breeds an unshakable strength in all of your relationships. In all of your relationships. You see this, that Paul's talking about two different groups of people that have responded to his imprisonment. They're responding in the same way for different reasons. Okay? They're responding by preaching about Jesus. He says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and from rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Let me make sense of this. So Paul has been making a stir everywhere he's gone. Riots, people bowing down and coming to know Jesus, people being healed. Paul, as a bearer of the gospel, is creating a stir. And he's finally made it to Rome, and he's been imprisoned for this proclamation of Jesus. And while in prison, some who are against him and some who are for him are all preaching about Jesus. The ones who are for him are saying, we're with Paul. If it means we're going to be in prison too, fine. We bow a knee to Jesus. Some are against Paul, and they're preaching Jesus because they think if he's been imprisoned because people are talking about Jesus, if we keep talking about him, he's going to receive worse beatings. It's going to be harder for him. They're not going to treat him well if the reason they've imprisoned him continues to happen as a result. So you've got two people responding to Paul's imprisonment. But the truth is that it's his clarity about Christ that allows there to be strength on both ends. Do you see? He says this amazing reality in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul's saying some people are preaching about Jesus just so that I will be treated more harshly. And you know what I say to that? I rejoice. People are hearing the name of Jesus. You can beat me. You can imprison me. You can make it hard on me. I have clarity that life is Christ. I rejoice. You can almost feel the frustration of the guards and the powers that be starting to grow, right? Looking at this guy going, stop it. Don't you know we'll imprison you? Don't you know we'll beat you? Don't you know we'll do anything to silence you? And he says, do your worst. They're talking about Jesus in the streets. I rejoice. Unshakable strength in all of his relationships because he has total focus, clarity about what life is about. I can continue to see this played out. I have the distinct pleasure in Houston of um, leading a group of young adults, and particularly 10 who've signed off a year of their life. They're all working jobs. We've got physical therapist and veterinarian and investment banker and 10 of them living in two houses in a rough neighborhood in Houston. And they give a year of their life, 15 hours a week. And the banner statement for our experience is be one, make some. Be a disciple who makes disciples. And so with the 15 hours a week, they're being trained And they're going out into their neighborhood to love their neighbors as as themselves. And it's amazing to watch these people come together in relationship and say, we're going to be about one thing. The 10 of us living in this neighborhood that is dark and drug ridden and has prostitutes walking the streets at night. This neighborhood is going to see the glory of God begin to, to break forth in it because we're about one thing. We're about the name of Jesus being made known. And beautifully, this group, as they confess their sin to one another, as they're known, 
as they receive training and they say all of it is for Jesus, they're beginning to see these things happen. Two weeks ago, I, I, I took one of the guys to lunch on a Monday morning and he said, the last week of my life, I'm never going to be able to explain to anybody. And I was like, well, tell me about this. It's a very prim, proper guy. He's an, a, a finance guy that works for ConocoPhillips. He works in his office 40 to 50 hours a week. And at night, he comes home to Montrose, this neighborhood, and, and is about Jesus with his roommates. And he said, well, on Wednesday, uh, this former prostitute, Jasmine, and her homeless boyfriend, Kevin, came over to grab a shower and a meal at our house. And they accepted Jesus. So that was, that was wild. Um, and then Friday night, we were out at one in the morning with a group of transgendered prostitutes, starting to hear their story and sharing a meal with them at a food truck down on the corner. And he said, so, so that I've never experienced before. And uh, he, he was trying to process it, saying, I, I try to tell my friends about what I'm a part of, and I don't know how to put words to it. But what I do know is that my life is about Christ. And I have more joy, more excitement about waking up than I have ever had because I am willing with a community to say our life is Jesus. Let's see what happens. It is amazing to watch these 20 something say for the rest of my life. I never want to go back life Christ. You see, it breeds a strength in their relationships that some of you have tasted this where you all of a sudden have a friend who is a follower of Jesus with you that you start to confess sin and share with one another and to minister to your community or your neighborhood together. And you say, This is what life is about. All these other things that I've been spending my time and my energy and my money on that will not show up on the eternal timeline. They are gone. As soon as that day is done and I bury it in the ground, I say never to be heard from again because it was not eternal in nature. But when a community starts to come together and say, by the grace of God, we're starting to realize our life is Christ. All of a sudden, it's day after day where we're not bearing it, but it's being raised up as a memorial saying, that one, we're going to praise God for eternity for that day. You know what he did in our midst? He moved. He was working things that will stand for eternity. Life, Christ, death, gain, breeds unshakable strength in those relationships. And amazingly, it breeds strength in the tough relationships too. Not just the ones where you say, Aren't we yoked together? Aren't we brothers or sisters in this? But the ones that are just hurtful, where things are said that should not be said, the things that keep you laying awake at night stewing over, thinking, how, how could she say that about me? How could he do that? That those relationships all of a sudden have strength bred into them when we start to say, even the hard relationships, those are a gift from God where his glory can be displayed. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about this, saying that it's actually when you're reviled and you're mistreated, that's where, where you have the opportunity to love in a way that the world doesn't know. Because everybody loves their family and their friends, but to love your enemies, that's stunning. That's life, Christ, death, gain sort of stuff. You see, all of our relationships, the good ones and the hard ones, all of a sudden become an opportunity to say that, that to live is Christ, to die is gain, that it breeds an unshakable strength in all of those relationships all across that spectrum. It's not just that. So we've got Christian clarity. It breeds this strength into our lives and the hard circumstances and all of our relationships. And I would say this, in all of life, 
that Paul in verse 21 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on to talk about what it means if he continues to live. He says, it's going to mean fruitful labor for me. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ in verse 23. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. Convinced of this, I will remain and continue with you for your progress and your joy and the faith. He also says earlier in verse 20 that I know as al- now as always Christ will be honored in my body. What Paul is saying is this. That in life, Jesus will be honored in my body. That, me- that word for honored literally means to be made large. It's like putting a telescope on it. That all of a sudden what is, seems distant all of a sudden becomes close and big. That's what happens when you live your life for Jesus. When you have this sort of clarity, life, Christ, death, gain, I will obey Jesus, whatever the cost, I will walk with him. All of a sudden, people around you go, Jesus used to seem really distant. He used to seem like I couldn't reach him, like he was a historical character. But in watching your life and knowing you, he's made large. He's honored in your body. Your whole life has a strength about it that I've never seen. You see, this is the joy. This is what God is calling us to. When we start flipping through the pages of the New Testament and we ask the question, how does this work? There's a lot of places that I could turn. I'm going to pull out a sheet of verses here for you. This is just a this is just a taste. Okay. I quit because I filled up the page. I could have kept going. To live as Christ, hear this, what the scriptures say about to live as Christ. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of Christ. So this means that eating and drinking is about Jesus. If you speak, if you serve, it might be that Jesus would be glorified. 1 Peter 4.11 If you stay single, do it to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 7. So if you stay single, it's for Jesus. If you marry, in Ephesians 5, this mystery is profound, but what I'm saying to you refers to Jesus and the church. So, singleness is about Jesus. Marriage is Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, meet people where they are. Do ministry in such a way that you meet them where they are. To the Jew become Jew, all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9, so we do ministry for Jesus. We give generously in 2 Corinthians 8 for Jesus. I'm content with weakness and insult and hardship and persecution for Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8. I bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, for Jesus. I walk in love as Christ loved us, Ephesians 5.1. I submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I submit to you out of reverence for Jesus. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I know how to be brought low and abound in every circumstance. Plenty, hunger, abundance, need because I can do all things through Christ. We start to see that every inch of life, if I have a lot, if I have nothing, if I'm married, if I'm single, if everything goes well or the bottom drops out, it's for Jesus. And the degree to which we can start to resonate with that. We look at Christ and say he truly is king of the universe. And he's beckoning me to walk with him and know him. That all of a sudden when we start to respond to that call, we say all of life is for him. And that breeds a strength in life that cannot be touched. You see it. It's in tough circumstances, all of our relationships and the whole of our life. And finally, it's in death. It's in death. And this is a very, very real word from Paul. That because he can say to live as Christ, he says die is gain. Die is gain. 
He even goes so far as to say, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Which shall I choose? These are outrageous words from Paul, as if to say, I might just choose death because I'm ready to go be with Jesus. And the idea is this, that as Paul over a lifetime has begun to, to walk with Jesus and realize that life really is about him, he has a deep longing that is starting in his soul to say, send me to be with him. If life is about him and death lets me be with him, sign me up to live as Christ and to die as gain. I can't help but wonder if we're going to meet the soldiers that executed Paul in heaven. This is just me engaging my imagination, but I've thought about that moment. Paul ended up being executed in in Rome, but in order to not make him a martyr and to galvanize the Christians As best we can tell, he was marched outside of town and on a little dirt road outside of of Rome. He was run through with a sword. I've imagined what it must have been like to be there and to think of these couple of soldiers that were escorting him and and the one who had the, the duty to execute him. What does it look like to look at Paul in that moment and for him to have a smile on his face saying, I've been waiting a long time for this. Man, I've been through a lot. I've been in chains and beaten, shipwrecked. It's been hard, and the whole time I've done it for Jesus, and you're about to set me free to be with him. Bring it on. Like you get this sense that as that guard is piercing Paul's neck, he's probably piercing his own soul as well. Saying, my goodness, how can a man die like that? How can he look death in the face and say, death is gain. Send me on my way. The truth is, you can't say that until you say life is Christ. When I moved back to Houston two years ago, a young man that was on probation, uh, he had been drinking and driving as well as um, under the influence of some drugs. And so he's on probation, living at home, going to junior college, and he was actually working at like an, an adult store. And uh, he called me when he heard that I was back in town. We had known each other years ago. And he said, will you go to breakfast with me? I said, absolutely. And we went to breakfast. And as we were sitting there talking, he's telling me about life and probation and these different things. And he said, when I heard you move back to town, he said, I felt like there was a little light flickering in my world again, which was a, a lovely compliment. I said, okay. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I need some of that spirituality that you have. He said, I need to, I've realized that I need some spirituality. He said, I, I've already made up my mind. I, I don't believe the Bible stuff. And I don't think there's anything particularly unique about Jesus. But I know you're a man of prayer and that you have this kind of peace about you. I want some of the spirituality, none of the Jesus. Can you help me? And I, as honestly and lovingly, I love this guy. I, I, I adore him. And so with a broken heart, I looked at him and I said, no, I can't help you. He told me, I lay awake at night and I am terrified of death. Can you make my fear go away? And I said, no, I cannot help you. I said, my friend, until you get to the place where you can say to live is Christ, you will not be able to say death is gain. And my great hope for us as a community, as individual followers of Jesus, 
is that we could begin to see him grow large in one another. That he would be honored in each other's lives and that we would partner with one another and start to experience an unshakable strength in our relationship and in this church. That you would be about the cause of Jesus in such a tremendous way. That you would say, life is Christ. Life, Christ. And as a result, then you can stare death in the face and say, and by the way, death equals gain. Nothing in this world can touch that. A life hidden in Christ is no longer able to be touched by this world. Unshakable strength bred by clarity on Christ. Let me pray for us. So our God and Father, we thank you and we bless you this morning. It's my request afresh today that over my heart, Jesus would be more beautiful and more believable than anything the world could offer. Would you forgive us as a community, God? Would you forgive us as individuals for the days and the weeks and the months that we string together living for ourselves, for little things that will not last? Forgive us for that. We repent and we say, God, we want a life that's going to show up on an eternal timeline because we lived it for Jesus. So by your grace, make that true of us. We ask it in the precious and the powerful name of Christ, who is our life. Amen.